0: morning and happy New Year. We are glad that you were here joining us, uh, whether you're here with us on campus or whether you're joining us online. Uh, it's a new year, right? And with New Year's, we're going to do something different. We're going to do something new this morning. Uh, I was talking to my family the other day and we were uh, mentioning about what we were grateful for and what we were thankful for in 2020. And I know 2020 has been a difficult year, but I'm fully convinced that God is still working in the midst of all the things that are difficult. And so we talked about things that we had done differently, things that had changed, new traditions that we had started. And so what I would like to do this morning, kind of in that mindset, is start off today by starting a a new tradition here at Willow Ridge Church. And what I would like for us to do is is to take this first Sunday of the year and to adopt this and to embrace in the years as as long as God gives me the privilege and the opportunity to be the senior pastor here and to establish this Sunday as our Global Missions Sunday, where we talk about all of the things that God has done, all of the things that God is doing, and what we hope to be a part of in the future of what God's going to do, not only here in our church, but all over the world. And and here's why I think this is so important. Uh, We've all got important dates that we remember. For me, a date that has been etched into my brain is March 15th, and March 15th was the day where where our governor uh, got on on TV and and said that our state was going to begin to observe the the shutdown because of COVID-19. And so March 15th was the last Sunday that we met together as one congregation, as our church together. And since then, right, we've just been adapting and changing from all of us worshiping at home to some of us worshiping at home to some of us worshiping here to no kids ministry or student kids ministry to an adapted model of, of student ministry. But, but here's what I want us to look at. Here's what I want us to remember Here's why I think today, as we start off 2021, is so important for us as a group of believers, is over this past year, so many things have stopped. There was Christmas get-togethers that didn't take place, weddings that couldn't happen in the way that they hoped them to happen, jobs that ended, a lot of things stopped, Over 2020, a lot of things changed. I would find it hard to believe that there's anyone who is sitting in this building or watching at home, and your life was not greatly changed over 2020. From how you go to work, to how you interact with your family, to the recreation that you do, to the mask or face coverings that we wear. So many things changed. Things stopped things changed. Things stopped. Things changed. But here's what I want us to be reminded of. Not one time in 2020 did God stop. Not one time in 2020 did God change. In spite of all that stopped, all that changed, God continued being who God is and continued doing what God does. And so to me, This Sunday is a reminder of that for us, of what God has been doing in the past, of what God is doing right now. And while we do not know what God is going to do, we can cling to some promises that we see from scripture of what God is going to do. And a lot of that, for me, culminates into this idea, this biblical concept that we have of global missions, of seeing what God is going to continue to do and how we can continue to be a part of that. Businesses shut down. Churches shut down. Airlines shut down. Missions organizations shut down. God did not. And so today we want to celebrate that. And so I want to do that by talking a little bit about our history as a church in missions, talk about who we currently are in missions, and to share with with you some new and exciting things of what we're going to be about as we move forward, as we continue on to do what what God has called us to do. Willow Ridge is a church that is rooted in missions. We're going to talk a lot about this over the course of this uh, message this morning, I want to highlight, though, two areas where a foundation was established of our church in missions. About 10 to 12 years ago, this church took a step that many churches do not take as they didn't just partner with an organization, but they started a work that God called them to in Haiti as Alex's house orphanage was started. The level of commitment that Willow Ridge Church put in the establishment of this was rooted not only in the financials and the people that they would send on short-term mission trips, but as they released and cared for and provided for their senior pastor, Bill Howard, to go and to start Alex's house. And what began as an orphanage has now grown into an organization that sees the gospel and community development happen all over Haiti, based and rooted in Disciples Village. This church, also of a history of missions, is found in our Hispanic congregation. If you're visiting here, and maybe you don't know that we have an Hispanic congregation, but just as we all are a part of Willow Ridge Church, so too are our Hispanics who are a part of our Hispanic congregation led by Pastor Juan Hernandez. They gather in here every Sunday just like we do. They worship just like we do. They hear a message just like we do, but they hear all of theirs in Spanish. This congregation has been a part of our church for well over 15 years as God has continued to bless as the wisdom of the leadership of this church at the time saw that not only are we called to go to the nations, but God was doing a miraculous thing as God brought the nations to our very doorstep. And we've seen great works of God happen through this congregation. I don't know if you realize this, But on any given Sunday, you can walk into our Hispanic worship service, and what you will see before you is a representation of sometimes over nine different countries coming together to worship all under one language. So we can celebrate that. I do want to tell you I've had the privilege and the opportunity to attend several of those worship services, uh, many of those worship services over my seven years of being the pastor here. And I want to tell you, all right, I took Spanish for three years in high school and for two semesters in college, and I don't remember any of it, okay? Um, and, and and so I, I come to these, and, and I don't really know what's being said. I don't know what's happening or take place, but here's what I can tell you. You can feel and you can know the very presence and spirit of God as you engage within there in that service so if you've never been a part of that service I want to encourage you one Sunday maybe that's that's even you don't come to this service but you come to that service and you're able to see and hear and respond to what God is doing so, stepping into this role as the senior pastor of this church who has a background in passions for missions, it wasn't a difficult spot for me to step into because this is a church that has embraced that. But about four years ago, about three years into my journey of being the senior pastor here, we began to have the feeling, the calling from God of what's next. We've got what's happening in Haiti. We've got what's happening within our Hispanic uh, worship service and in that congregation. But God, what do you have next for us? And so we were able to put together a a leadership team known as the Global Missions Team. And within this team, we've been for the last four years, but very heavily early on for the first two years, coming together to pray and just simply ask God, what's next? We we didn't have uh, somewhere where we knew we were going we didn't have somebody that we knew we were partnering with. Be honest with you, outside of a couple of us who, who not myself not included in this, right? We had one guy, Matt Evans, who had served on the international mission field, and Tim Rice, who had served on the international mission field. But the rest of us had, had been on mission trips and had taken classes on missions, but had never been in that depth. And we took about the first year, and we didn't talk about places, We just prayed and and looked at scripture and asked God, God, not what do you have for other churches, but God, very specifically, what do you have for us? What are you calling us to? And it was a wonderful, long process that we went through, and what we felt like God was bringing out of this for us at first was not a people, not not even a place But what God was calling us to was a strategy. And it was very important because this strategy would help us decide where we go and what we do and who we partner with. There are missionaries all over this world who are doing great and godly works. There are missionaries that that are doing wonderful things and there's no way in the world that we can partner with all of them So what this strategy does, it helps us figure out how to partner with with some of them, with where God is calling us. And so we developed what we call the the peace strategy. And and what I love about the peace strategy is each letter of, of peace is going to stand for something, but it's the continual reminder ultimately of what we're here for. We're not a good works organization. We're not here just to make sure you got a new roof on your house, pat you on the back and say, see you later. We're here for a reason of the gospel. And what we know and understand the gospel does is it brings peace between God and man of what sin is created through the hope found in Christ. And so the continual reminder when we go on our mission trips, we're carrying the peace of the gospel that takes us no matter where we go or what we do. Whether it's a a day mission trip in in Lexington, South Carolina, or whether it's hopping on a plane for 20 hours and going to Jaipur, India. Where everywhere we go, it's the exact same representation. And so this morning, I want to share with you what the peace strategy is. And for some of you, it may be a reminder. For some of you, it may be the first time that that you've heard it. But then also what God is doing in each and every one of those, what God has done and what we are looking forward to. The first part of the the peace strategy is, is the letter P. And what we want to do within there is plant Great Commission churches. And here's what's really important. We don't want to just plant churches. We want to plant Great Commission churches. And that's very important for us that we we understand that. We're not just here to to plant churches who can attract a crowd. We're not just here to to plant churches who who can do a worship service really well. That we're here to plant churches that understand what the Great Commission is and that they want to work forward in continuing on in that strategy of what God has given us. And so let's remind ourselves of the Great Commission, Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the ends of the age. And so Jesus gives this to his followers, and it's to go and make disciples. It's the very early calling of the early church. You see, the church didn't exist here in Matthew. The church was going to be formed in Acts. And so Jesus has this group of ragtag followers who get it wrong more than they get it right. And Jesus tells them, but here's what you're to do. You're to go and you're gonna make something. You're gonna make disciples and you're gonna baptize them and you're gonna teach them. And so that's what we do here. That's our goal every single week. Not to make you a greater fan of, of, of this church, or a greater fan of a, of a worship leader, or, or not a greater fan of, of a pastor, but to make you a greater disciple to be used for the kingdom of God. And that's the hope. And that's what the Great Commission is all about. And so that's who we want to partner with. Now, now church planting, there are some people that kind of hear this and say, we need to start new churches, but, but hold on, aren't there already enough churches? I mean, like, it, it's not hard. You can leave here, take a deep breath in, and be at another church before you have to let it out, right? Like, this is the world that we live in. But that's what God has called us to do. And the truth of the matter is, if you are in a church today, you are in a church plant. Somebody planted every church that has ever existed going all the way back to Jerusalem when Jesus mobilized the disciples to plant churches. Our church, for instance, was planted in 1979, Agape Baptist Church. We were actually out on Platte Springs uh, Road at the time, and the church was planted in 1979, Agape Baptist. And later on, it it moved to this location and, and was renamed Willow Ridge Church, and it's where we find ourselves. And while that story, I think, is remarkable, the story of what took place in 1979 and the story of what took place to bring us here, I think the story that's even more remarkable that needs to be celebrated is the church that planted us was not another church from another state. The church that planted us was not another church from Charleston or from Greenville, but the church that planted Agape Baptist Church, who would become Willow Ridge Church, was Red Bank Baptist Church. Now, I want to ask you a quick show of hands for those of you in the auditorium. How many of you drove past Red Bank Baptist Church this morning on your way here? It's a church that got it, that understood it. They said it's not just about building our name and building our kingdom. It's about helping other churches reach those who we could never reach. And so that's what they did. You see, what happened in that commitment of that church in 1979 was others who would never sit in these seats thought that your salvation and growth was important enough to invest in a work, even if that meant a work in their own town, even if that meant that people from their church would leave and go to that church, because that's what they were called to do. And so for us, it's our call to not sit back and just enjoy what has been done, but it's our call to continue the work that's been established in our very DNA. And so looking back at what we've been able to do, and I'll be honest with you, I don't know all of the church plants that Willow Ridge Church has partnered with over the years, but I do know several over the last several years that we've had the opportunity to come alongside in our very own community, Mill City Church in West Columbia and Yahweh Sons and Daughters. Now, I don't take the credit that we planted them because we didn't. There were pastors who were called to those works, and they came there. But then what we had the opportunity to do to come alongside with them is support them and encourage them specifically financially so that they could have the resource they needed to to renovate a space like Mill City did. Or they could have the resources given to them to be able to have a a sound system to have worship like Yahweh's sons and daughters did. And so we were able to come alongside and, and do that. Several years ago, we were able to come alongside Jamie Rogers as he and his family moved from all places, Camden, South Carolina, to Long Island, New York, right? You want to talk about a culture shock and what God was able to do in their lives through Crossroads Long Island, that while Jamie, as we helped him, is no longer serving there, that that church is healthy under Pastor Elliot as he continues to lead there. And so we're able to celebrate what God has done, but we're also looking forward to what God is doing. Just this past year, we found out that there was a church in Atlanta that, that we're not in a long-term partnership with, but their church, because of where their position in downtown, uh, did I say it? Downtown Atlanta, I'm sorry. They're in downtown Atlanta, and they needed some financial resources because so many of their people were out of work, and we were able to provide for them financially so they could meet the needs of their people who couldn't pay their power bill. So God helps us as we seek to do that. And now what God has for us in the future is an opportunity to partner with Pastor Dustin Stottman, who's going to be planting in August of 2021 Hope Valley Church in West Jordan, Utah. And we have the opportunity to come alongside him, his wife, and their children as they seek to to reach a city in, in West Jordan, Utah that is almost completely void of the gospel. West Jordan is one of the suburbs of Salt Lake City. And to give you an understanding of the depth of lostness, I know oftentimes we think of cities within the United States and we think, well, obviously they know the gospel or they've got churches, they've got a lot of believers, right? But 97% of Salt Lake City does not know the gospel, 97% is lost. Provo, Utah, I shared this a few weeks ago. Provo, Utah, which is just right down the road, which is where BYU University is, Brigham Young University, has a lower percentage of believers than Afghanistan. Right? And it's the opportunity of what God provides us. In the area of West Jordan, Utah, there are 54 Mormon churches and only one evangelical church sharing the true hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what Dustin and his wife, what they've committed themselves to under the calling of the Lord is to come alongside and to plant there in West Jordan, Utah, to raise their family in an area where many of the people, while they are polite to them, know the message that they bring, and they do not want them anywhere near themselves or definitely their children. But we've said we'll come alongside, and we'll partner with you, and we'll help fund, and We'll send people so a church can be planted for the glory of God. Because it all is going to begin in the spread of the gospel with planting churches. The next letter that we're going to see when this likeness, E, is that we're going to equip indigenous pastors and planners. We're going to equip 2 Timothy 2.2. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Not only did God entrust us with the proclamation of the gospel, but God entrusted us with the pipeline of leadership development to raise up others who will continue new works in other places." And so as Paul writes this to Timothy, he says, it's very important what you've heard from me in the presence of many others, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach and entrust others also. I really started thinking about that word entrust. You see, I can give you things. I can give you things of value. I can give you things of worth. But what I entrust you with is those things that are most valuable and most important to me. Paul didn't say just give them the gospel, just share the gospel. Paul says entrust them with the gospel so that what you communicate to them, they can embrace and process and understand and ask questions and dig deeper so that they can come to an understanding of the gospel so that they can do the same thing over and over again. And what we have said for us is of value is to do this with pastors and planners, but we've added a word to make sure that this is important for us, that we want to equip not just pastors and planners, but we want to equip indigenous pastors and planners, which means this. It's not just about finding people within our congregation and then sending them to plant churches all over the world. It's about going all over the world and beginning in the process like Paul did with Timothy, where we help raise up those who know the culture, who know the language, who have a heart for the people because they are their people, and to help them raise them up so that an Indian pastor can share the gospel with an Indian congregation. The important value of what's there. And so that's what we have committed to do. It's what the, God has given us multiple opportunities over the last several years for me to have the opportunity to go to Haiti and to do that and to teach at pastor's conferences. We're pastors there. Most of them, because the language that they speak is not a language that's recorded because it's a language filled with poverty, do not have the resources that we do. So you watch these pastors and literally they're not looking for your point to jot down real quick. As you're speaking, they're writing down as fast as they can because every word is precious to them. It's what we had the opportunity a couple of years ago to go to India and do, where I had the opportunity to go and, and teach and, and preach at a Bible college. Now, I want to tell you, like, like I'm, I'm about to finish up my, my second master's degree and have never felt more intimidated in my life than knowing that I was heading to a Bible college to teach. I was petrified, right? Like, oh my goodness, they're going to know more than I know. But God said, trust me and go and take these steps. And so at first, I was like, I'm going to build a team that's going to go with me of other pastors from other churches, and we're going to go, we're going to do this together. And God gave me one other pastor to go, my father-in-law. And then God laid on my heart, 2 Timothy 2.2 is not about pastors going and just talking to pastors, but it's about people of faith who know and understand the gospel. And so two pastors and two lay leaders, and those lay leaders, two who worked for an airline company, one who's a nurse, got on a plane and flew 20 hours to another side of the world to a place that we had never been for many of us and shared the gospel and taught. And the most beautiful thing that happened and took place was not when me and the other pastor, when we got up and we taught but seeing seeing those men of faith who God does the great word inside, work inside of them to get up and to hear them share. So when we talk about equipping indigenous pastors and planners, it's not just me and the staff that do this, but it's each and every one of you who dive in and study God's word and who know it and want to understand and know more. And so as we move forward in this and we're looking forward to going back and doing more of this, I want to invite you to join me, to be a part, and to be as we go forward with this. The next that we see is to announce the gospel to UPGs. Now, I want to explain this a little bit, all right? Really quickly, before we explain what a UPG is, it is important to share the gospel with everyone. Everyone. Well, so, so the people that you encounter at the grocery store, your, your neighbors, your, your friends, your, your family, while there is a church almost everywhere that we turn in our community, there is still lostness everywhere in our community. In fact, the United States, the lostness is increasing, and we can't just say, well, it's all good in the Bible Belt and blame everybody else because lostness is increasing in every state in the United States. And in good old Lexington, South Carolina, where we find ourselves today, lostness has never been greater than it is right now. So we need to share the gospel with everyone. But specifically in our strategy, we wanted to know who are we targeting? Because we want to, we want to take, take the, the, the rifle approach and not the shotgun approach to this. And God laid on our hearts unreached people groups, UPGs, And so an unreached people group is a group of people defined by a language, a religion, a a territory, or a region in the world. And a a people group could be spread out all over the world. You can find numerous people groups right here in in Lexington, South Carolina. In fact, if you're traveling down um, St. Andrews Road and and you're heading off and you're heading toward Irmo on on St. Andrews Road right there off of I-26, there's several apartment complexes that are near the the interstate. And located within there are Syrian people groups and Iraqi people groups who are refugees who have been brought there. So we are surrounded by unreached people groups. And an unreached people group is defined as a people group that has less than 2% of their people have been reached with the gospel. Less than 2%. So based off of what I shared earlier at Salt Lake City, it's trending toward that now. Salt Lake City could be an unreached people group within the next year or two. So we want to share the gospel with unreached people group. Well, there are 17,439 different, uh, different people groups in the world. Of those people groups, 7,413 of them are considered unreached, which means this, 42% of the world's population is a part of an unreached people group. 42%. Which, that doesn't mean that 58% is saved, That means that more than 2% of the 58% is saved. Begin to see the staggering numbers. Most of them are found in what is known as the 1040 window, which is the area kind of surrounding the equator, but located primarily in, in Asia, near the equator and the Middle East. Some of the most difficult people culturally, some of the most difficult people in their religion, to embrace, and to come alongside. And it's where the depth of lostness is found. And so several years ago, as we're praying through this, trying to identify unreached people groups, there was a moment in time that struck me. And what struck me was, I've shared the story with with many of you before, but my wife and I, we were were laying in, in bed one night, and we were watching TV. And we were watching a show called Stories by Light. It's a documentary. We love to watch documentaries. And it's a documentary about photographers who travel all over the world and who tell the story of, of cultures and people and, and history, but through photographs. And so, this particular one, there was this British guy, he's about six foot seven, and, and this is important big, tall, white British guy, and, and he was going to India. And was going to tell the story of the festival of Holly through photographs. We don't have time to go into what the Festival of Holly is, but the closest thing in our culture that can help explain it to you, to get some familiarity with it, is if you've ever done one of those color runs, right, or seen those, where they take the powder and they throw it up in the air, and so you've got like yellow and, and purple and blue and green powders, and people are running through it, and their, their clothes change colors, right? That is based in, that 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 came from the Festival of Holly, where they celebrate this Hindu God through doing that, this this. this. This big, almost like Indian Mardi Gras type party that happens and and takes place. And so this this photographer is is there. And now, I was taller than most of people in India at six foot, right? And he's walking through at six, seven. He stands out a little bit. And he's walking through their temples and he's snapping pictures. This big, long camera lens. And every time he snaps, you can see the picture that pops up on TV. And he's taking pictures of men, and they they got their arms around each other, and they're singing, and they're, they're dancing. He's taking pictures of beautiful, ornate temples. He's taking pictures of statues that are idols to be worshipped. And he starts to take pictures of more of the crowd. And what got me was as he's snapping the pictures, he focuses in on this little girl. She might have been somewhere between four and six years old. And he, she's like here, and he's up here, and he's snapping pictures. And as he's taking pictures of her, he's working his way down to his knees. And he gets down, and he's almost face to face with her. And she reaches up, and she's got a handful of yellow powder. And she just hits him on his cheeks. And at first I smiled just like I did then. How cute that was in that moment. And then it struck me. And then it hit me. The importance of the gospel. Because unless someone goes and shares, unless someone goes and tells that little girl, her eternity is going to be found in hell. And so we have to go. Mark 16, 15 through 16 says, and he being Jesus said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But there's not a period there, there's a comma. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And as believers, the truth of that statement must be unacceptable to us. It must not be okay with us that there are people all over this world who are going to hell. And they're not just going to hell because there's a church down the road and they refuse to stop by to hear They're not just going to hell because their neighbor's been sharing the gospel with them for 10 years. They're going to hell because there's no church. They're going to hell because there's no pastor. They're going to hell because there's no believer, because they don't know who Jesus is. And right now, in this very moment, there are thousands, millions of people all over the world, and they cannot find about Jesus right now, even if they wanted to. And that has to be not okay with us. And so yes, we share the gospel with everyone, but our strategy, what we focus in on is sharing the gospel with unreached people groups. Because if not, who will? And it's why we've embraced so many of the works that God's given us the opportunity to be a part of. Rick and Tina Nolan, some of our own very family from here, who moved to Athens, Greece, not to take in the history or the architecture, but because Athens, Greece, is where Afghan refugees are finding themselves and who are desperate to know the truth of Jesus Christ and they're there to share it with them. It's why we support, and we're not going to use her real name because we're online, but a, a woman we refer to as Ashley who is doing ministry in North Africa, in a country that at one point in time was a hotbed for the recruitment of ISIS soldiers, who lives in a country where women can't speak in public, who went where women can't ask questions, especially religious questions. And so she's there as a safe place and as a safe opportunity for the many women who live under the abusive nature of Islam can find out the hope of Jesus Christ. It's why we partner with the John family in Jaipur, India, who every year send out their graduates from their Bible college, not to fill their churches as associate pastors, but to go into villages, to plant churches where there are no churches, to come alongside men and women who have never heard. And oftentimes those pastors don't pastor one church, but two or three churches in neighboring village, because there's no one else to. That's why I partner with Hans Ostrom, who finds himself in Toronto, Canada. That as I went there several years ago, it's the only time that I've been outside of the United States and felt like I was still inside the United States at the exact same time, right? But Hans is in Toronto, Canada, reaching Unreached People Group. How so? Because Toronto is a hotbed for refugees from the Middle East to come to. And so Hans and his family are there, providing opportunities for families to hear specifically middle eastern muslim families to hear the gospel we got to announce the gospel to the unreached people groups the next that we'll do is see we'll care for those less fortunate you see in the book of acts there was a there was a problem that existed and in Acts, very early on within the church, it was just the disciples, and they were going out and proclaiming the gospel. But what was taking place was there was a lot of needs of people who were there in their community. There was a lot of needs of, of widows and of orphans, and so they had come to the church, and the church ha- having a long standing in relationship with God, with caring for those less fortunate, the, the apostles didn't know what to do because they were called to do this. And so instead of ignoring it, what they said was we place so much value on this that we're going to continue to do this, but we're going to call from amongst us those who are qualified to be deacons to go out and to care for those who are less fortunate with the hope of sharing the gospel themselves. And it's part of that basis that we see the church in Jerusalem begin to spread out because people are being cared for. Because you know what is, is easier to do? To share hope of eternity with someone that you've sat down with and given them hope for tomorrow. And so it's what we see happen and take place in the book of Acts. It's largely what we are seeing done with Daryl Cheeks in the Philippines. As Daryl, while the Philippines is largely a country that is saved, when you begin to understand the dynamic of the Philippines, is most of Christianity exists in the major cities, but the Philippines being a nation of many, many islands, to get the gospel out into those smaller villages where poverty reigns is extremely difficult. And so Daryl goes in and cares for those less fortunate to have the opportunity to do that. It's what we've seen happen and take place in Disciples Village and Alex's house as they're there faced with, the, with the, the worst poverty of any country in the world. And they're going in and they're providing hope through education. They're providing hope through clean water. They're providing hope through meals. And through that, being able to share the hope of the gospel. And so what we want to do as a church, what we want to do as leadership within this is we want to encourage missionaries. The last part that we're going to see through this, we want to encourage missionaries. Now, I don't know about you, but I think the men and women and oftentimes families, even their little children who say, I'm willing to walk away from everything that I know I'm willing to walk away from being near to my elderly parents. I'm being willing to walk away from my young children and their grandchildren. I'm willing to walk away from my retirement account, from my job, from all of these things that we are building here, that we have here, to go and to go onto the mission field and to provide great sacrifice like those for me or the hall of famers of our faith that we're experiencing today. So we want to encourage them. And we see that the Bible speaks highly of them. In in Romans chapter 10, Paul writes, starting in verse 14, and he's talking about the call for missions and the necessity for missions. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? In verse 15, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are they? And so what you and I have the opportunity to do here, this isn't to beat us all up because we're not all in the mission field, because God will call some to go and he will call all to send. That's what Paul's writing there. How can they go unless they are sent? So they can't go unless there's people like us who are sending them. And so what we want to do as a church is we want to send. And we do that three different ways here. We want to encourage you to join us within there. Number one, we, we, we send by, by praying. By praying. And that may seem like, oh, well, but we pray for a lot of things. Yes, But let me tell you. God laid on my heart, and there's one missionary that asked me, can you pray for me every day? I said, yeah, I think I can do that. And she said, no, 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 no. I'm not saying can you pray for me every day if you think about it. I'm saying every day, without failing, will you commit to pray for me? That's why I need to pray about that. (laughs) Came back and said, Yeah, I think I can do that. And so every day we pray. Every day I pray for her and what God is going to do and how God is going to use her. We pray for our missionaries. We pray when we think about them, when God lays on our heart, but we build the regimen and the routine into our daily life. So they're written in our journaling Bible. They're a part of a sticky note that's a reminder on our computer. Their faces are put on a magnet onto our refrigerator. Why? So that when people walk in, they can look at our refrigerator and go, oh, you support missionaries? No, so that when we see them, we go, I need to pray for them, and I need to pray for them, and I need to pray for them. And so we commit to pray. But we also commit to financially partner, right? It takes money to do ministry. And so we commit to financially partner. And we do that here for our church. We provide for our missionaries out on the field. This past year, God was very gracious to our church through your generosity in giving. And we'll talk more about that later. But it's our responsibility not to just sit back on that, but to continue to bless and go forward with it. And so we fulfilled all of our financial obligations of what we said we were going to do for our missionaries. But then there was other opportunities that came available. And because we couldn't go anywhere this year, what we did was you got this opportunity, then we'll send you this check. You got this opportunity, we'll send you this check. You got this opportunity, we'll send you this check. And I want to be able to share with you as you give your tithes and offerings to us that we were able to go this year above and beyond what we committed to to fulfill the needs that were there with people we've got long-term partnerships with, but even places where we didn't. One of our instances that we had was, was, a, was a church in Atlanta where God just said, yes, do this. And so we had the opportunity to do it. So we pray for him. We financially partner with them but then also we participate we participate with them we say you know what it's not just about you doing the work over there but it's about us doing the work together and what I'm excited about what I'm praying about in 2021 is that at some point in time these shoes will be able to step foot onto a plane that will land with one of our partners in another country we're able to go and go come alongside them and partner with them and work with them for the glory of God. It's why we send. It's why we do student ministry mission trips. Not so that they got somewhere fun to go and you've got more money to give, but it's ingraining in them the importance of missions. So the question I have for us, the question that we have to wrestle with is the where. And Jesus gives us that answer. Acts 1-8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus in Acts 1-8, they got the Great Commission. Jesus is about to ascend and go to heaven. And they said, Jesus, what do we do now? Where do we go? You've given us this, but, but what's next? And Jesus says, just wait. Because the work that's going to be done is a spiritual work. It's not going to be done in your power and in your power alone. But just wait. And when you go, I'm going to give you four places to go. The first place that Jesus tells them to go is to Jerusalem, the place where they called home. She says you're going to begin there. And so for us, we begin at home. So what are we doing as a church here in South Carolina? I wanted to say earlier, I started to label this as Lexington County, but it was the great reminder of what God does as we don't just have people here from Lexington County. What I know is that we've got people here at least from Orangeburg, Richland, and Lexington Counties as a part of this. I know that we have people who are listening right now in Aiken County who are joining us online. So I know that God's got people all over our state. And so for us, our Jerusalem is South Carolina. And what God's been able to do through our church is to. Partner with organizations like the South Carolina Baptist Convention that is mobilizing, and our giving there is mobilizing men and women and opportunities all over our state. We have the opportunity in our partnerships with White Knoll Elementary that while we can't do our fall festival and the things that we normally do, we've been able to come alongside and support them and to give them things that they need and a hope to be able to share the gospel. We're able to partner still every single week with Project 153 as each Wednesday they fill our kitchen with people who were cooking to take food to those who were homeless, which by the way, right now, Project 153, the city of Columbia won't let them use Finley Park. So what they do is they pre-box the meals here and they ride around downtown Columbia looking for homeless men, women, and families to give them out. So we're able to partner. But I want to say this, our greatest partnership here, our most powerful partnership that we have, is not an organization, it's you, it's you. Because we are all mobilized every single day where God places us. So the factories that we work at, the firms that we work at, the schools that we go to, every place where we find ourselves, that's the mission field. Jesus says, don't only take it to Jerusalem, but take it to Judea. Now, for us, I'm going to find Judea as the United States, a region a little outside, but including where we find ourselves. For us, we have several partnerships that we've been able to establish here within our country to see the gospel spread. Several years ago, we started a partnership with a Christian orphanage called the Black Mountain Children's Home in Asheville, North Carolina, and have been able to take our middle schoolers there and our high schoolers this past year, and God has really blessed that. I want—I do want to share this with you, though. If you've never been, I want to encourage you, maybe one day when you're driving up to go apple picking, right, take a little detour, Google it, it'll come up on your phone right, and find where Black Mountain Children's home is and just ride through there. And here's what you'll see. It is absolutely beautiful. I found out why it's called Black Mountain this past year, because there's a shadow that falls on that side of the mountains all the time. It is the most amazing thing. Even when the sun is fully out, no clouds, you see the shadow alongside the mountain. It's why it's called Black Mountain. So if you stand there at the children's home and you look out, you see the mountains and it is absolutely, it is a beautiful place to spend a week with a group of middle schoolers. Absolutely beautiful. But if you're standing there and and, and you're staring straight from the children's home, that's what you see. But if you turn to the right, it's not so pretty. And if you turn to the right, you don't see the mountains. You see a women's prison. And here's the sad part about where this is located. That a lot of the kids are there because mama's over there. And daddy's nowhere to be found. And so through Black Mountain Children's Home, it's not just a place to care for them and to get them educated, but it's an opportunity to share the gospel with them. We partner with the North American Mission Board that plants churches, the largest church planning organization, and plants churches all over North America. We partner with Dustin Stockman and Hope Valley Church in West Jordan, Utah, where we, this year, will be able to provide them not only funds, but people, hopefully, through a trip as we go. Jesus not only calls us to Judea, but he calls us to Samaria. So we're classifying that for us as North America and the Caribbean. It's where we continue to see the work that Bill Howard has started through Alex's house and continuing on through Disciples Village as they see that work and that ministry spread, as they see men and women living in the midst of poverty, finding daily hope that is connected to their eternal hope. It's where we see men like Hans Ostrom leading in upward Canada in Toronto to see Muslim families come to know Jesus and connecting them with a local body of believers. But then Jesus doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just say Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. But then Jesus throws out the hard target, the difficult places. Jesus says to the ends of the earth, now I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine that you're standing there with Jesus. And Jesus says, I want you to go to places that you've never seen, that you've never heard of. You don't even know that there's people there. right? Think about this. Like, they didn't just go to the library and get a map and find out where this is. They couldn't jump on their phone and Google search, right? Jesus says, there's, you don't even know what's on the other side of that water, but that's where I'm sending you, and that's where you're going. And that's where he calls us to go, and that's why he says the ends of the earth because we're to go to people and places that we've never heard of, that we've never seen, that we don't understand. But we have the hope of the gospel. And God's been gracious with us. Through our partnership with the International Mission Board, the IMB, we have the opportunity to see that the IMB is the largest missions organization in the world, deploring more missionaries every single year than anyone else. So we have the opportunity to partner with Daryl Cheeks who has to jump from island to island to island to share the gospel. So I pastor with the John family who is seeking to see churches planted in every village in the state of Rajasthan. That's why I partner with Ashley in North Africa. That's why we send out from our home Rick and Tina, who we deeply love and miss, but it's worth it for the gospel. So I've got a question for you. 2020, the beginning of, of a year, the beginning of 2021, lots of us like to make resolutions. All right, we're going to go to the gym more. That'll last about a month, right? We're going to read more. We get really through the introduction of that book, and then we decide maybe not. We get all these resolutions that are good things, Right? I need to go to the gym more. I need to read more. I need to do all of those things more. And they could change our tomorrow. But what if we made resolutions that didn't just change tomorrows, but changed eternities? What if we made resolutions that impacted lostness all across this world that you and I as a church is what God has done in and amongst us and through us and what God is continuing to do. But what if we stopped looking at it in the sense of the organization? And what if we looked at it in the sense of the individual? And so what if for this year, what is God calling you? What if God has in mind for you a Samaria? What if God has in mind for you a Judea? What if God has in mind for you a different Jerusalem? What if God has called you to the ends of the earth? What if today, instead of the commitment being being to go to the gym every day, what if today was the commitment to pray every day for a missionary? What if today was the commitment instead of, I'm just gonna see how much more I can put into my retirement account, what if today was a commitment to, how about today I give more to a missionary that I know is in need? What if today is the resolution? To not take yet another vacation, but to take your family on a missions trip and to go and engage. What if our life was not just about tomorrow, but what if our life was about eternity and the importance and the value of the hope of what God's doing? This world changed, this world stopped. God didn't. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the graciousness of our congregation, Lord, as I've gone along this morning, the importance of what we're talking about, or the work that you're doing, the work that you haven't stopped. And the wonderful opportunity and privilege that you give us to be a part of it. So Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you that right now there's individuals that are wrestling within their soul and their spirit about adopting a missionary to pray for. Lord, I thank you that right now there's, there's men and women who are beginning to understand that, that maybe, maybe there's a family they know that are missionaries and they can support them monthly. Or they can write a one-time check and help fund some, some work that they're doing. Lord, he, let them hear in their hearts that it's not about giving more to hear, but it's about giving more to the work that's being done. And so if those dollars and cents never, never pass through here, Lord, we praise you for it. Lord, I pray right now that there's Individuals who were wrestling with maybe canceling a cruise and instead jumping on a plane and going and serving at an orphanage. Instead of going to a beach, going to a village or a Bible college. Lord, I hope. There may be even a family or an individual who's here who says it's not just about doing something different for tomorrow, but it's about doing something different for the rest of my life. And they're looking at answering the call to not go for a weekend or a week, but to go for the rest of their life. that little girl can hear. So that village can be given an opportunity to have hope. So that language might be introduced to the only one who saves, Jesus. God, convict us, draw us, point us in the direction. Obedience to you. It's your name, we pray. Amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to respond in song. Do not let your response in when you walk out these doors. Maybe it's about praying more, maybe it's about giving. To, and I, I'm not talking about giving more to this church. You want to give to a missions organization, a, a, a missionary, let me know. I'll get you connected. You Straight to them. Maybe it's about going for a weekend or a week or a month or a season. But I want to say this. I pray that we lose church members this year because we lose you because you go and you're sent and you find another country and another people and you share the gospel and you live there and you plant a church there and you come alongside them and you give them hope